The following is a recording of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, visit gpts.edu. As you remain standing, please turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. We will be reading from chapter 5, verses 17, or excuse me, verses 15 through 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Listen carefully to this reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to his reading of this word. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would grant us your Holy Spirit that you would lead us in your truth, that, Father, you would sanctify us, that you would be pleased to exalt the name of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I do have to say that I got a call late Monday night from Dr. Master while I was uh, sitting on a Skype call with the brethren from the Reformed Churches of at their general synod, asking me to preach um, today's chapel. So didn't have time really to write a new sermon or think about uh, uh, what I was would have liked to have done, but just basically went to the drawer and said, okay, what's a good sermon to, to bring out? I preached for many years when I was in my congregation on this book of Ephesians particularly like the way the Apostle Paul does his writings. As most of you know, he usually gives us the doctrinal part in the first chapters of his epistles, and then the application in the later uh, chapters of his epistle. And really, the doctrinal part of this epistle really be seen probably in that first chapter more than anywhere else is that doctrine of union with Christ. In that first chapter alone, he uses the term in Christ or in him uh, over 19 times in generally what's considered to be one long sentence that as he writes that particular chapter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's out of that teaching of our union with Christ that really in the last three chapters of this epistle from chapter four on that Paul draws the plaque practical implication. And he tells us, therefore, that first of all, in chapter 4, he calls us to unity. Chapter 4, verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he opens that for us as he goes on. But in verse 17, then he also not only calls us 
to unity, but he also calls us to holiness. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So we're not to walk as the Gentiles do, but to walk in Christ. Verse Chapter 5, verse 1, Paul calls us to love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, it's in this context that the Apostle Paul now calls us to wisdom or wise living. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, under these four places where he calls us to walk in a certain way, Paul gives us teaching on unity, holiness, love, and now on this wise living. The general exhortation, first of all, he says, look, and he wants us to look or to take heed, to be aware, to pay attention as we are walking along. I never really thought about it in much in terms of walking around when I was a boy, looking around everywhere and seeing what was in front of me. You just kind of walk. But when I moved to Africa and there were all kinds of snakes and uh, critters out there that you had to watch out for, you really found yourself always with your eye on the ground, constantly scanning and looking around. And the Apostle Paul says, basically, that that's how we are to look. We are to have our eyes constantly scanning, to look around, and we're to do it carefully. Now, the Greek term also can mean accurately, that we are to look with an accurately at the surroundings, at those things that are around us, as it were, as we walk along, we are to be diligent, we are to be circumspect, we are not to let ourselves lapse in this regard. Now, the way that Paul uses the term walk here is basically the way of life. He's used it all through these chapters from beginning at chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to this place, where he basically says, our walk is the way of our living. So what he's telling us is that we are to look carefully at the way we live, and that looking carefully at the way we live, we're not to be like the unwise, which he described in uh, chapter 4, verse 17, those who are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, hardness of hearts, they are callous, they're giving themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We're not to walk any longer as they walk, but we are to look carefully in our lives that we walk not as the unwise, but that we walk as the wise. And I think that the scripture teaches us that as we walk as the wives, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and to depart from iniquity is understanding. That as we walk as the wise, we walk as those that fear God. 
We walk as those that walk in the presence of God. We walk as those who walk knowing that God is always with us, always sees us, always knows where we are, and we are to know exactly where we are also in terms of our lives. We're to look, we're to to watch, we're to keep, we're to be wise in the fear of God and not to be foolish. Again, the Bible says that the fool is the one who has said there is no God, Proverbs or Psalm 14.1. He walks as if there is no God, and we are to walk carefully in the presence, in the sight of God. Now, in the Aaronic benediction, we pray and we pronounce the benediction that the Lord would cause his face to shine upon us, that the Lord would be gracious to us, that the Lord would lift up his countenance upon us, and he does that as he pronounces his benediction upon us, but we're to live in such a way that we recognize the reality of that each and every day in our lives. God is shining upon us. God has lifted his countenance upon us. He has come to us, and we are to look carefully then as we walk in his presence, not as those who disbelieve, but those who recognize and realize the presence of God daily in our lives. Then the Apostle Paul in verses 16 through 18 goes on to give us some general ways of wise living. He says, making the best use of the time or redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, that is, that, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul basically is giving us how it is that our lives should look as we walk carefully before God, living in this way, before him in the fear of the Lord, that we would be a people who redeem the time. We buy back the time. We know where and how our time is being used in the presence of God. Remember when I was in seminary, we were getting all the assignments, and I first, uh, my first year there, and we were getting all the assignments, and like most of you probably feel, the first week or so of a semester, you were completely overwhelmed. You were wondering how in the world you were going to get all this done, and I actually went and complained about it to Dr. Jay Adams, um, and uh, Jay, as he was often ready to do, said to me, you don't think God is a wise God? I said, yes, I think God is a wise God. And he says, well, didn't God give us 24 hours in a day? Yes. Doesn't God require of us what we can do in that 24 hours a day? Yes. So go redeem the time. Well, I started looking at my use of time, realizing that I squandered much time during a day. And the Apostle Paul reminds us here that time is the gift of God. Each of us have our days numbered. The days our life began and the day our life will end. And we are responsible to give an account to God for those days, for that time. So the apostle says, if you would be wise, if you would walk in wisdom, you will be one who is cognizant and takes note of your time, how you spend it, how you use it. Do you use it in a proper and good way. Secondly, he says, understand the will of the Lord is. 
Moses writes for us in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord, but the revealed things belong unto us and our children. God wants us, as the Apostle Paul says here, God wants us to know and understand what the will of the Lord is. He has given to us in Scripture everything we need to know to serve him and to fulfill his will. I know that God wills us to grow in grace and that he has willed us to do so by the proper use of the means. I know that God wills us to bring praise and honor and glory to his name. And he gives us the means to do that. What he'll do in my life tomorrow is part of the secret things of the Lord. I don't know what he'll do tomorrow, but I know my responsibility and his will for me today. And his will for me today is that I redeem the time and that I be filled with the spirit of God. Understanding what the will of the Lord is and being filled with the spirit. Having that spirit who dwells within us, that spirit whom he has sent to be our comforter, that spirit who leads us and guides us in his that spirit who prays and groans within us, that spirit that has been given to the church that we might be a witness to all of the nations. We are to be filled with that spirit. And then in verses 19, he then gives in following in 20 and 21, he gives specific exhortations of a spirit-filled life, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, speaking to one another. You have the opportunity as students here at the seminary to speak to one another, to encourage one another, to uh, help one another. That's what Paul is talking about to the Ephesians here. He's talking about that mutual encouragement and conversation that goes on that provokes us, that helps us move and to live in the Christian life. He says that we are to exhort one another daily, lest we be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin, that we are to encourage and to speak in that way. And he talks about it in terms of the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we make melody in our hearts to the Lord. We're all marching, as it were, to Zion. As the psalm says, to beautiful, beautiful Zion, the people of God are on their way. And as, we, as we're on our way, we encourage one another, we sing God's praise, we give to him the glory that is due his name, always giving thanks, being thankful for all that the Lord has given. Each night as I pray in our evening meal, part of my prayer is always, 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 God, give me a thankful heart to receive these blessings. Let me not complain. Let me not murmur. Let me not backbite, but give me a thankful heart because I am to give to you thanks always and for everything, the trials, the tribulations, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, all of it I'm to give thanks to the Lord for, because God works all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We give to him thanks in all things, submitting ourselves one to another.
1 Peter 2.17, we give honor one to another. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, we prefer one another as better than ourselves. Romans 12, 15, and 16, we rejoice with one another when they rejoice. We weep with one another when we weep. We sing with one another when we sing. In all things, we submit ourselves one to another. What I want us to focus in more narrowly, and if I, as I preached this in my congregation years ago, there would have been separate sermons on redeeming the time, understanding the will of the Lord, being filled with the Spirit. This is just an overview of what Paul has given to us here in the text. But what I want to zero in is on that wisdom, because that's important for us. You see, we come to theological seminary, and we learn all kinds of knowledge, and we think that knowledge in and of itself makes us wise but it doesn't. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the application of the word of God to specific situations of life. Last two hours, I've been sitting in my evangelism and missions class, and I made the statement this morning that the Bible says the man who is a winner of souls is wise. And we just finished a section on the gospel that we preach, the good news that we take in its full orb character, or as Paul would refer to it as the whole counsel of God. And I said that basically evangelism in some sense is learning to take that gospel and apply it in specific and um, uh, uh, ways to given individuals that we talk to, that we communicate with over a period of time, or maybe just once. How how we disseminate that information, what we emphasize in that information, that wisdom, which is the application of God's word. And that's what being wise is. We live our daily lives. We come to school, we study, and we need to learn that wisdom, that application of this knowledge that we are receiving and apply it to the callings that God has given us in the places where God has put us. And this wisdom, the scripture teaches us, doesn't come from our natural ability. It doesn't come from our learned ability. It is really a gifted ability. Wisdom comes from Christ. Wisdom comes from the Savior. And it comes to us as we as James tells us in chapter 1 and verse 5 of his book, it comes to us from Jesus as we ask for it. We go before him, before the throne of grace, and we ask for wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who doth not upbraid us. He doesn't put us down because we lack wisdom, but he gives us, he grants us that thing that we seek and desire to have. You know, we look at Solomon, and basically that prayer should be, in some sense, the prayer of all of us each and every day. Ask of me what you will, the Lord said to Solomon. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And each day we should pray that God would give us that wisdom, that gifted ability to apply his word in specific situations that we deal with every day in our lives. 
that God's name might be exalted. Solomon, again, in the Proverbs, tells us that we're to ask for it and we're to seek after it. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure. You see, what Solomon is telling us here is that the greatest thing that you can have in life is wisdom. That wisdom that is gifted from God, that comes from God himself. But as we pray that God would give us wisdom, we seek to understand. We seek to know it, to have it. We seek it with all of our hearts even as we seek the bread that we put in our bellies each day in the house that we live under each night. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, and the way of wisdom is not to despise correction. Chapter 1, and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the term instruction there is actually correction. They despise correction. So Paul is saying to us, we are not to live as the unwise, but we're to live as those who are wise, walking carefully. Again, the temptation for us in the scholastic context in which we find ourselves is to obtain knowledge but not wisdom. How do, you, how do you look at your life? Have you found yourself growing in wisdom? Do you think about not so much only the doctrinal truth, but how it applies to the way I am a husband, as Paul will say in chapter 5? How it applies to me as a father, as Paul will say again. How it applies to me in my workplace, in the labor that I do. How that truth that I have, how I use it wisely when I work for my employer or when I employ my employees. Does my life show that wisdom? Or do I live much of my day without consciously realizing and thinking about and knowing, keeping ever before me that I am always before the Lord, that I always am in his presence, and that I'm to watch carefully my life? Do you despise correction? You know, we like praises but we don't like being told where we need to be sanctified a little bit more. As husbands, are you willing to take correction from your wife? 
as students, are you willing to take correction from your professors? I hope that most of you would say yes, but my question would be, are you willing to take correction from your peers? Or are you willing to take correction from someone you don't think is quite as smart as you are? Because he might be not as smart, but he might be wiser. When I first went to Africa, having had students from Africa here in the States studying, and would go back and I would hear these stories about how when they went back, they went back often prideful because, you know, they now had a theological education. Many of their fellow pastors didn't. And so they wanted all the big churches. They wanted the churches in the city and they wanted all the other guys to go out to the village. Well, when I went to Africa, what I found was those pastors were not very well versed in knowledge. They didn't have the theological education that we have, but they were men wiser than I could have ever imagined. That knowledge that they did have, they knew how to apply it to given situations. And I would sit in their meetings and hear these uneducated men filled with the spirit of God, with this wisdom that comes from on high, because they sought it, they prayed for it, they they looked unto the Lord for it, and God blessed them. That's what you need, brothers. That's what you long for. It's not just the obtaining of knowledge, but it is a knowledge learned how to be applied in given situations that you might be men of wisdom being corrected and growing in grace so that you apply, as it says in Proverbs 2, 2 that we read, so that you apply your heart to understand this very thing. Not only your mind to understand the theological doctrine that you're being taught in the methodologies that you're learning, but you apply your heart to understand before the Lord that you might be truly workmen worthy of your hire. We want well-educated ministry, but brothers, we want ministers who are passionate in love with the Savior Jesus Christ and want to preach him and apply him to the hearts and lives and situations of their hearers. We don't need pulpiteers. We need men of passion who've applied their heart to understand God's word in their lives so that they might apply it to the lives of those who sit in their pews. Brothers, we will give an account to the Lord for each and every one of those. And you will be faced with circumstances beyond your imagination where you are looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, give me wisdom how to deal with this year. But if you have not applied your heart to know wisdom, you have no right to pray at that point. Lord, give me wisdom. We must apply ourselves now to understand and to know that we might continually grow in the fear of God. God, teach me to fear you more and more every day. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears of men relieved, but it never relieved me from the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Teach me, O Lord, to fear thy name. Because it is that ministry, it is that labor that God will bless. And I'm not talking about blessing with large numbers. I'm not talking about blessing with big churches. I'm talking about a ministry that will be blessed because whether it's a few 
or whether it's a lot, God will use you in the lives of individuals to spur them on in their Christian walk, to help them so that they know that unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, to help them because they will see that holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, to help them because they will have that love to God and their neighbor, and they will love them with all of their hearts, and they will be wise in the things of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you, and we do praise you for this word of exhortation to us. Father, we confess that we have not looked carefully as we walk. But Lord, we thank you that you do look carefully over us. And so teach us, O oh Lord, teach us to walk not as the unwise, not as the foolish, but as the wise, that your name might be glorified and lifted up. For this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, please visit gpts.edu.